The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, on today's program, we talk with Mr. Tom Poteet with Mesa Natural Gas Solutions about successes, obstacles of natural gas, portable generators, gas capturing, flaring, all kinds of different things. We even get into flow chains and some service background products. Mr. Tom Poteet, Mesa Natural Gas Solutions, coming up in just a moment right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. And I'll tell you what, let's get right into the interview with Mr. Tom Poteet with Mesa Natural Gas Solutions. Tom Poteet with Mesa Solutions. Mesa Solutions. What is Mesa Solutions? Where are you guys located? Uh, well, our corporate headquarters is in Denver, Colorado. Our manufacturing center is in Casper, Wyoming. Our corporate development office is in Oklahoma City, and we have about 10 shops uh, throughout the central United States in configuration with the shale place. Okay, so where are you located? Oklahoma City. Okay, you're in Oklahoma City. Gotcha. All right. So uh, Mesa Gas, it's a natural gas solution. So what solution are you guys providing? Right. So we provide natural gas engine-powered generators that are portable and have a real interesting fuel intake flexibility. And by that, I mean the, the engines will run on a really wide BTU range of gas. To be specific, it's from about 750 BTU up to about 2,500 BTU. So we can run off a wellhead gas or field gas right out in the field. What we usually encounter out there is about 800 to 1200 BTU. And the, the upper end 2500 is uh, a nice nice number. It's the same as uh, propane. So all of our units can run on propane as well. And a lot of our customers will set up to run off of some natural gas source and go ahead and, and uh, put in a propane as a backup if they think that the... the um, natural gas supply might be variable and so we have a nice control system on there that'll switch back and forth from one fuel to the other without dropping the load so that's been a good market differentiator for us there's no shortage of natural gas what's your biggest successes and your biggest barriers to try to get into that marketplace like i said you know there's there's no shortage of it yeah um just about every shale play well is going to produce some usable gas not not all of them but but uh, most and so a, a big differentiator for us has been reliability and service we're not the only ones out there that purvey these sorts of engines uh, or this, these sorts of generators that are that are based on 
of these engines. But there's been several things that have, have given us market success. One is most of the most of the players in this space really just cover half the space. They either make gen sets and sell them to a variety of companies that lease them, or they lease gen sets and buy them from wherever they can get them. So by manufacturing them ourselves and leasing and maintaining them ourselves, we've developed a really what I call a, a low friction quality conversation loop between manufacturing and field operations. So uh, anytime either side has a better idea for doing something, it's pretty easy for us to think about that, vet it internally and, and implement a change. The other thing uh, or another thing that has really helped us in the market is uh, our technicians are really excellent, excellent and well-trained and almost somewhere between 70 and 80% of our technical force out in the field are veterans and it's a very highly dedicated source. I used to say that they were obsessed with quality, but it would be more accurate to say that they're possessed with quality. And uh, we just strive really hard to make sure that the customers stay online and, and are satisfied. One of the things we've brought up on this program, I'm curious to hear your reaction on this. Um, we're not a political program, but we often pontificate what a world would look like if we diverted some subsidies from, say, wind and solar, who've had pretty good pretty good subsidies for 40 years, really for the last 20 years had quite a bit. But if some of those subsidies were shifted to the natural gas world, and the reason I say that is because we'll take a look at solar and wind, and they've had milestones and markers that they've put out there themselves as an industry, and they haven't, they, they haven't achieved it. We don't have uh, affordable solar panels for our houses, and we don't have wind energy that's affordable and, and economical and efficient yet. Um, and the natural gas world, there's so much of it. They're down in Texas. I mean, they're selling it at a minus number and up in the Bakken, and they haven't hit their, their flaring numbers for, for I think 13, 14 straight months. I think some subsidies would, would solve the problem in five years. I mean, a lot of oil companies, they don't have a lot of research and development money left over. They pay a lot in taxes. They make sure that the churches have bake sales and they make sure that the little league teams have baseball uniforms. So, Research and development sometimes is not there when you have $40, $50 oil. $100 oil, sure, but not where we're at today. Um, with all that context that's there and trying to just, you know, make this a more of a pontification question as opposed to a political question. Sure. Um, what, what do you make of that if some of those subsidies were given to the natural gas world? I mean, what kind of things could you guys do? Uh, right. I, I don't know if, if I would call it. Uh, you know, a need for subsidies, but there are some gaps out there that that could be covered uh, economically that would would make some interesting thing happen. Things happen. I, I think you're right about um, you know, solar and wind all all have their 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 place and their values, but there sure is a lot of research out there now that uh, would give you the indication indication that just the resource hurdles to to make you know a, a a planet that runs on those things is um, a pretty steep hill to climb. The, uh, the the thing with with natural gas, some of the gaps that you could cover is it's it's available in so many different places, and 
you know, if it, if it costs, just to throw out some super round figures, if it costs, uh, you know, say four to four to seven cents per kilowatt hour to convert stranded gas to electricity, um, there's a lot of places where you could take that and put it on established electric grids. Utilities, historically, at least since PURPA came along, they, they typically uh, revert to paying their their lowest cost of generation, which uh, under PURPA usually turns out to be how, however they calculate their, their cost for coal power. So, you know, that and that may not be a fair starting point anymore, but uh, let's say a utility is only willing to pay one to two cents per kilowatt hour for electricity, then there's a there's a several cent gap um, there that, you know, if again, I don't know whether subsidies is the right term, but if you can get dollars to flow into covering that gap from somewhere, uh, there's huge amounts of stranded gas out there that uh, could be placed onto utility grid systems or, or uh, microgrids of various sizes. Of course, you know, from the utility perspective, that just like sometimes the places to to uh, where you put giant solar farms or wind farms, the utilities don't necessarily have current transmission capacity uh, available to take that power away. So it it have to be all planned together with both the um, the site by site generators and the utility systems. But that would be a that would be a good uh, use for some money that would cover those gaps. Mr. Tom Poteet, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that thought for just a moment or two. When we return, we'll continue the conversation with Tom Poteet with Mesa Natural Gas Solutions. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Tom Poteet with Mesa Natural Gas Solutions. Current transmission capacity uh, available to take that power away. So it, it'd have to be all planned together with both the... Um, the site-by-site generators and the utility systems, but that would be a that would be a good uh, use for some money that would cover those gaps. You mentioned the geography part of it. 
with, with some of this technology, can you take it from play to play, that sort of thing? Does it have to be customized? I know in, a lot of times, you know, you're talking to somebody about fracking, they'll they'll bring up very quickly that, you know, you go 10 feet in a shale play and it's a different recipe. A lot, you know, the customization is just inch by inch. Um, how, how universal is your technology and how customizable is your technology, I guess? Right. So, so during the uh, initial growth of our company, uh, which has been primarily um, in the U.S. shale plays, all of our units that we built are on trailers. So super easy to move them around, uh, super easy to add more generators at a site, or if, if there's well decline, it's, it's uh, easy to uh, take out some of the generation capacity. We, ha- we have five different sizes of generators, and then the two largest sizes can be uh, set up in, in parallel, you know, taking care of multiple megawatts if that's what what the load requires. And so all, all of that is flexible uh, geographically from site to site, and also at a site, it's, it's easy to add or take away generation capacity. So that's been a real flexible thing for us. Some, some locations that either don't have well or field gas or don't have it yet but uh, don't want to run diesel because of the cost or the the emissions um, if, if the load is large enough you can uh, often make a real economic case to build in sort of a virtual trucking pipeline of compressed natural gas or liquefied natural gas to uh, run the generators uh, you know some places will do that for the life of the project, and some will do it until there's sufficient field gas available. You mentioned you're down in Oklahoma. You've got offices in Colorado, uh, Casper, Wyoming. That's mm-hmm. sort of the, the, the bed of um, this war on oil and gas, as the governor of Colorado calls it. You know, Whiting recently had some cuts, uh, that sort of thing. How, how are you guys... Um, dealing with the new perception are you are you is it impacting you guys at all are you uh going up against it at all are you is it it flying right over you i guess you know because anytime uncertainty gets put into the marketplace it affects businesses you know i mean when 40 dollar oil was there that was the reason it was uncertainty right now a lot of companies in colorado are using that word until you know the new rules are done they don't know what to do yet so that's you know, there's some serious problems some companies are having. Others, it's not so much. So uh, just kind of, you know, is that right. uh, that, that newfound perception, is that impacting you guys? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's uh, impacting us negatively. And, of course, as you mentioned, the, the, um, the actual rules vary so much from state to state, and the activity, uh, the related activity varies a lot from state to state. Well, one thing that's uh, you know good for us is is the emissions uh, of our gensets are uh, quite clean. The uh, on the on the types of emissions that we tend to call the EPA numbers, which are you know CO, CO two, and NOx. Generally, you can compare. That's most common to compare to diesel diesel engine emissions, and we're we're 85 to 95 percent cleaner than diesel emissions on those particular measures and then on stranded gas in areas where people are flaring gas uh, we're about so then then what you're thinking about is how much methane is is still getting through which uh, 
we would sort of put that in the, the greenhouse gas category as far as how we sort of uh, how we characterize the emissions. And we're at 85 to 95 percent cleaner than um, a flare. So it is an attractive thing. Um, but as you said, in, in some states, the operators are there's enough variation in and how the, the rules are evolving that people aren't quite sure what to do next. So it, in the states, you know, whether it's that sort of volatility or, or um, uh, price volatility, we've been, we've been quite blessed to actually increase our market share during those, those rough periods, primarily based on our reliability. So that's why I said the, the first part of my answer to your question was it hasn't really affected us negatively. Uh, what it does is it creates opportunities for us to go to those companies that aren't quite sure what to do and, and give them a few options. So, Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think a lot of companies, too, are kind of waiting on some pipelines, some of those new pipelines to be opened up and, and get some new either crude or uh, natural gas flowing. Uh, are you guys... Are pipelines your friends? Are they your competition? Um, you know, they're they're a part of the industry, and, and I know you guys have got a niche. Um, how does pipelines come into play with you guys? Right. So, again, it, it sort of varies from area yeah. to area. In some places, you might say electric utilities are our biggest competition. Um, so the, the pipelines... Uh, the gas takeaway pipelines aren't necessarily a, a, a friend or foe uh, because even where you have gas takeaway, you might not have electric utility service. So, and sometimes, you know, we, we serve loads uh, for, for the pipelines. But besides pad to pad loads or microgrids, we um, sometimes will serve pumping stations or compressor stations along pipelines, a lot of saltwater disposal wells we serve. And and we're also, you know, to give a, a little bit of balance, we are um, also expanding out into areas of business that aren't necessarily related to oil and gas. A lot of campus environments are wanting microgrids now for reliability. We're, we're developing our basic unit into different form factors that perhaps for, you know, a long-term backup or standby solution the genset doesn't necessarily need to be on a trailer so we've got basically it's the same internal uh, architecture but just different form factors looking at your linkedin page i see you met the governor of wyoming mark gordon huh yeah yeah great guy our company sponsors the uh, is one of the sponsors of the cheyenne frontier days rodeo so we had a opportunity to uh, meet him Real nice guy. Yeah, I met him at the Energy Expo in Gillette, Wyoming. Um, seemed like he was he's, he's pretty pretty open to the energy community, at least. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's very well informed about it. And um, I, I believe earlier in his career he worked in it. So he's he's got that carryover knowledge of, of what some of the challenges are. What's your background? Oh, it's about... Half electric utility and half data and telecommunications. And then toward the latter parts of my career, it's been applying all those things uh, from the oil and gas perspective of getting 
power out into the to the oil fields in the most efficient way and and that you know what is the most efficient way tends to keep involving uh evolving a lot of what we talk to our our customers about is the the economics of you know should you put capital in up front to either build your own power lines into an area or pay a utility to build power lines into an area and then have an electric bill after that or should you just have no capital expenditure up front mr tom poteet i'm going to ask you to hold on to that thought for just a moment or two when we return we'll continue the conversation with tom poteet with mesa natural gas solutions my name is jason spies this is the multimedia cafe Energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. So here's to all of the good thinkers and here's to the lonely drinker but don't you know welcome back to the multimedia cafe my name is jason Spees. thank you folks for pulling up a stool joining the conversation right here at the multimedia cafe a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about coming up next we continue the conversation with tom poteet with mesa natural gas solutions build power lines into an area and then have an electric bill after that, or should you just have no capital expenditure up front and run on generators uh, for the for the long term? What we sixty to eighty percent of the time when we run those scenarios, what we find is that uh, well, sometimes actually just our our rental rates are head to head cheaper than utility rates in the, when it all launders out, but. Most of the time, we're close enough that even if the utility price is a is a few cents cheaper over the life of the economic life of the project, you you never earn back the capital that you would spend to build those power lines up front. So you have to find have to find the right audience that is is looking longer down the road and um, is willing to look at some options that would help them avoid spending capital. We had uh, Pete Obermuller on with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. You mentioned their annual meeting. I see you're speaking at the annual yes. meeting coming up. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about your topic. Well, that's it's an interesting and more specific topic than what I what I usually get into. It's it's more specifically 
about what are some some real life solutions that you can use if you have a, a stranded gas problem out in the field. And so we're going to talk about the, the economics and the technical issues related to generating power from that stranded gas and putting it over on a utility or solutions like there's there's a growing there's a growing niche of people doing edge computing out in the oil field uh, by genera- generating power from stranded gas and taking that electricity and serving multiple uh, shipping containers full of computers which is nice steady load so well you mentioned your background was telecommunications I was going to ask you how how interesting that was for you folding it over to this industry my background is is media and a little little bit on the not so much telecommunications side but the distribution side of electronic media and traditional media and for me it's it's been just a, a treat to watch the evolution of the oil and gas industry um i for me, I, I see where the telecommunications industry for is very much like what's going on, what you're talking about, in terms of trying to get remote power. Right, right. So, so there's there's some metaphors just in the business structure, but what's been interesting to me is from my, my time in IT and my IT friends, I, I sort of have a philosophy that no modern project or, or that every modern project is ultimately an IT project if somebody wants to see a number on their computer. And well, the way that sort of folds into our business is our, our inside our generators, there's massive amounts of data flowing around in there. The, the engine control unit, the genset control unit, uh, there's, there's massive amounts of data in there, engine, engine and mechanical data, electrical voltage current load type data. And for our own purposes, we we package up a data list of about 40 data points that uh, shoots back to the mothership uh, about somewhere between, depending on the on the location, anywhere between every three to five seconds or or uh, three to five minutes, and uh, comes over satellite or, or cell. And we expose that same data to our customers if they want to use it, and some do, and make make decisions off of it. And it's the kind of data you can simply look at that data and and say, hey, we need uh, maybe now that this well's been on in operation for a year, looks like it maybe it could get by with a, a smaller generator, um, or our our operations guys like the data because they can. They can see predictive elements coming through there and say, you know, send somebody out and uh, adjust something or, or replace something and and avoid an outage. So both, both us and our customers have really come to rely on that data stream. You mentioned you had IT background. How, um, how far back does your IT background go? Punch cards? <laughs> My, my college background goes back far enough to, to punch cards, although I never had to use one because when I, uh, at the time that I took a class, my first class in programming, it was um, at, a, at a location. The, the college had just obtained a, a Hewlett Packard 3000 mini computer, 
and so all the programming was uh, via keyboard. I got to Oklahoma State University. My roommate was a computer science major, and he spent most of his days and nights typing punch cards at the time. So, oh wow, well, well aware of that. My my actual IT work though was actually in the middle of my career, uh, working for the for a branch of the government, and it was it was more and it was interesting because it was about the time that the uh, people had had isolated computers for a while and eventually the idea caught on hey we ought to connect all these in a network so a lot of it was the buildup of the physical network and and integrating that into various telecommunication schemes so it's it's been pretty interesting but now you've dated me <laughs> well yeah I, I always just see where people how far back they go because it's kind of funny that you know some of the biggest banks were run by punch cards at one time that was the security system was just these punch cards you know and nowadays you flash forward to today and i don't know anyway because when i started out we we were using light boards in the media room you know i mean so yeah uh sometimes depending on what i'm speaking i'll ask the audience for a show of hands who here loaded a a computer program off of their cassette tape player. Oh, wow. Sometimes I'll get an arm go up. We had floppy disks in my day. That was... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're in Oklahoma. Are you part of uh, Oklahoma City? What, what are you hearing out there? I was going to ask you about the, some of the Oklahoma plays, but you're you're, you're a little bit, bit away from the stu- scoop in the stack, aren't you? Um, no, not really. I mean, I can see them from my office window. Oh, okay. Uh, so... Um, there is they, drilling that close, huh? Well, no, you can't. I can't see any drilling rigs, ah. but uh, I can see those areas. Uh, this, the the uh, the what we tend to think of as the stack is uh, kind of centered around Kingfisher County. Is sort of the epicenter of it, and okay. that's only about a twenty-five minute drive. Okay, so there's probably. I mean, you guys getting some activity then? I mean, in terms of that play, just kind of. Um, you know, I like to get boots on the ground if I can, and that's close enough, man. If, if, if you've got sure. that kind of activity, I'm sure you see a few white trucks. But being Oklahoma City, I'm sure you see a few white trucks, anyways. Yeah. Uh, yes, we do have units on rent in Oklahoma. Um, of course, our, our by far our biggest is, in our biggest concentration of units on rent is in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. Okay, all right. Um, how about up with, in the, the the other plays? You mentioned the uh, Casper yeah. and and, and right. Denver. We, that we sort of thing. We we basically have units from North Dakota uh, down to Wyoming and Colorado. Mr. Tom Poteet, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that thought for just a moment or two. When we return, we'll continue the conversation with Tom Poteet with Mesa Natural Gas Solutions. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. So here's to the picture that holds us laughing, and here's to the sound of one hand clapping, and here's to not letting this moment pass and here's to carrying the weight of the world 
And here's the screaming, yeah, never being heard. And here's to not letting this moment pass. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with James Duggar with Vitalent West Texas. James Duggar with Vitalent Blood Center. I'm the president of the South Central Division. The South Central Division is all of New Mexico and uh, the western half of Texas from Lubbock down to to McAllen. We're talking today about ways to help with the recent tragedy down there where a man who was pulled over by troopers in West Texas shot at them with a rifle, sped away, setting off a rampage that killed seven people, injuring 22, including a 17-month-year-old girl. Blood is one of those ways that can truly help in this time of need. Of course, there's resources, donations, there's a lot of different ways, but this is one of those quick, immediate ways that can allow individuals to really feel like they're helping. I know when something like this happens, everybody feels like, how can I help? And and donating money and resources is one way, but this is another way. Uh, Mr. Duggar, talk to me a little bit about the importance of donating blood and how you guys are helping down there in the Permian Basin in Odessa, Texas. Well, you couldn't have said it better, or I couldn't have said it any better, Jason. The act of, of blood donation, especially following times uh, like this, where you've got some type of a tragedy, a shooting, or something like that, beyond giving blood, it's also a way for people who are looking to help to start their grieving process either for either because they've known somebody or the fact that something like this hits so close to home for them and just makes you realize that all those times when you used to say that it could never happen here well it certainly could happen here and that's a little bit unnerving to a lot of folks so they we always see these things that the very best of people that tend to follow the very worst of times and that's exactly what we're seeing the uh, permian basin area has always been uh, very good at showing up to donate because it's the, it's the blood on the shelf that ahead of time that provides for the tragedies when they happen and that immediate response that we can provide to a hospital to meet the need comes from folks that donated you know last week and the week before uh, that allows us to be able to position that blood uh, for a chance at, at, at life because uh, we can respond so much quicker and so the folks today uh, coming in and, and through uh, yesterday and, and through the rest of this week are going to be replenishing 
the blood supply uh, locally and to the outlying hospitals who um, graciously allowed us to come in and pick those units up to take to uh, the hospitals in Odessa to, uh, to meet that demand. Also in the news is a hurricane going on. So in addition to getting blood to those who need it through this, this tragedy, you're also dealing with a natural disaster. Talk to me about that. That's exactly right. And there was uh, the, the blood centers. The nice thing about the, the, the I guess, the blood industry uh, in the United States is that we tend to, while we compete in some instances, we tend to work very closely together because we know that at the end of at the end of the day, the need really comes down to a patient in a hospital to need that. So because of, her, of Dorian starting to wreak havoc on the eastern seaboard, there was a, an appeal that, that came out from blood centers in that area saying, uh, look, we're not going to have folks that are going to be able to get out and come and donate. They encouraged their donor base to donate uh, ahead of the storm. But now you're talking about a storm that could linger for days and days, and in the uh, uh, and we talk about platelet donation. Platelets are only good for five days, so it's very possible that donors might have answered their call, uh, donated platelets uh, ahead of time, but the, they won't be able to get out and replenish again in five days, so they're going to have a need uh, for platelets on the East Coast. And uh, we, we put that plea out as well to ask folks to come in. And any surplus that we have that doesn't go to meet local needs, uh, we're, we are certainly happy to uh, offer those up to that area. One of the things that Crude Life has always said since day one, that the Crude Life community is the operators to the truckers, to the roughnecks, to the cafe owners and flower shop owners. And meaning that you guys are down in Odessa, Texas, we got to include the blood banks and the first responders and all that in today's interview. So talk to me like you're talking to all the energy companies out there, because I'll tell you what, one thing about the energy communities they are a tight knit, like I said, from the flower shop, cafe owners, all the way up to the CEO operators and everybody in between. So give your information, explain the need that you need uh, blood, whether it's from, you know, uh, immediately or maybe, you know, somebody 2000 miles away can donate in their local community off of your words. Talk to us about that and the energy community and everything like that. Well said. And we are, uh, you know, I don't think there's another industry out there that pr- that produces and provides uh, so much infrastructure and support and job creation as what the energy sector does. Certainly in this area, we, we, we see that, um, and, and, it, and it helps uh, so many folks from, a, uh, from an economic perspective. And then when everybody does good, altruism in general uh, is, is supported by that because the better people better off people are, the better that they feel about where they are, the more likely they are to want to go out and give, whether that be time uh, to support charities, whether it be money to support charities, or whether it be time to come in and leave us blood. And I, we always promote um, routine blood donation, meaning the average, the average amount of time that donors donate across the United States is 1.5 times per year. Most people are eligible four and five times a year. Uh, average platelet donation is only four times a year, and you can actually donate up to 24 times a year. So we are promoting folks to become, uh, to, to embrace altruism and become donors for life, whether that's routinely giving to a charity, money to a charity, 
uh, donating time to a charity or certainly donating blood routinely um, because the act of giving, regardless of where you are, blood can't be manufactured anywhere. So we rely on folks to not only do it once, but to embrace giving um, as part of their life and do it several times a year. How about locally in Odessa, those people listening to this interview, they might know somebody down in the local area or maybe some of the places affected by the hurricane as well. Um, what, what's the information for kind of the you know immediate and now, if you will? We, uh, we're always looking for uh, platelets because they're only, they're only good for five days. O-neg and O-pos is always in fairly short supply. Certainly O-negative is. Um, and then other blood types are very, very useful, A's a, uh, and AB's especially, uh, B's for plasma and platelet donations. Um, and which, so all blood types are, there's always a use for every blood type that's out there, um, from red cells, uh, O, type O, RH negatives, and O pos are always very beneficial. We can use those now, um, and don't forget to make your appointment for eight weeks from now, because we're going to, eight weeks from now, we're going to have a need for it as well. And that was James Duggar with Vitalant West Texas. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Mr. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, for coming on, as well as James Duggar with Vitalant West Texas to talk about the recent shootings in Odessa, Texas, as well as their need for blood. Of course, you can find all that information at thecrudelife.com, as well as other exclusive interviews, full-length interviews, exclusive interviews, sponsors, our social media network, etc. Go to thecrudelife.com for all the information. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. 
Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. 